This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Hugh Humphreys from Hustle Media. Hugh was recently made redundant by the Parramatta Reels. Prior to that, he spent close to five years working in radio for Triple M and Today FM. We chat about him hitting the jackpot by scoring a paid gig in media while still studying, the advantages of being an early adopter on social media, and his year from hell at the Parramatta Reels. Hugh was one of the most polite, switched on and engaging people you'll ever meet, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Hugh Humphreys, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thanks for having me, Ralph. Now, you're pretty much a man of leisure these days, although (laughs) I've heard heard that you've got quite a few little gigs on the go now. Yeah, that's it. You'd be surprised how um, much you actually have on and how many days you have to work and how many things you've got to do when you technically don't have a job. Let's sort of go back and explain things. You were made redundant from the Parramatta Reels about two weeks ago. You've since put your own company together, which is called what? Hustle Media. And you're currently going to be doing some work with the US college football teams that are coming out in the next week or so. Yes, they get here um, they get here next week and they've got a whole week's worth of great activities and then they play at ANZ Stadium Saturday the 29th of August, I think is the day, or the 27th of August. And yeah, so I'll be busy doing a whole lot of stuff for them and then um, a few other bits and pieces too. That's exciting. How did all that come about? Uh, that came out so out of the blue. The day after um, I was made redundant at, from the Eels, it was I got a phone call just saying that they'd heard what had happened and they were looking for uh, some help in their kind of media operations and media management section for the game and would I be interested and available and it just kind of went from there. I said, sure, I've got a little time, so I'm more than happy to help out. All right, let's go back then and retrace our steps, as it were, to explain your entry into media. Was that something that you were always interested in in doing? Oh, yeah, I always loved um, the media, just watching TV, listening to radio, reading the paper. I was always very interested in news as a as a teenager, even actually as a kid. Like I would remember reading the paper when I was like seven or eight years old and asked my parents the most random questions about stories that I was reading about things that I, you know, a young child should definitely not be understanding. And then, um, yeah, just kind of in high school, I thought I, I changed my mind a million times during school about what I wanted to do when I finished school. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to do engineering. I wanted to do mining engineering for a while and then I thought you know what no I really want to kind of get into journalism with and radio is probably one of the things I um liked like really liked the idea of at the start um and then it yeah so I guess that that was my initial foray into to um, media while I was still studying at UTS. What kind of programs or what kind of things did you listen to that made you think that you could start your career in media? Um, that's a really hard question. I think I just, I really liked watching, you know, good 
good TV stories being told at first. Like that's, you know, what hooks you into liking people telling stories. I think a lot like, um, you know, watching with the really, you know, really great four corners and seven thirty report investigations and just things like that. But then also just regular television news. Like I always seem to watch and know the, you know, you get to know the journos that you see on TV and, um, you kind of, I would just always be around watching the news and was really interested in it. And, but I think I actually, it wasn't until I got to, uni that I wanted to specifically work in news. Like I kind of thought, you know, journalism and media, the world is very broad in terms of people like presenters and hosts and, you know, being a bit of a star in that regard. I think, I think I initially wanted to kind of be a bit more like that, but then going to uni, my, um, yeah, my journalism teacher, Jenna Price, she said, you will be perfect for radio. You've got a great personality to work in radio and in, in that kind of media. And I thought, all right, why not give it a go? And I guess from there it just happened. As you mentioned, you went to UTS. What was that course like for you? Oh, it was so good. It was, I think, the best thing about wanting to actually do, you know, work in media or work in as being a journalist or anything like that. Like it was so hands-on and practical from the very first day. Like I remember all of our students filed into our very first um, class and Jenna Price says, uh, she goes, all right, I want you all to come back with, 10 ideas for news stories, like 10 news stories for next week or for the next class. And we were all like, okay. And then she goes, because I can guarantee you that nine out of 10 of them are going to be terrible. And so we were all like, oh my goodness, this is like, we've got to find, how do you find 10 stories? Like, you know, we're all kind of 18 year old type kids in there being like, what are we doing? And then we kind of come out and I remember other people in other classes had been told they are, you know, just come back with a, a new story. And I was like, well, there you go. That's the general price school of, of journalism life, isn't it? Like come up with lots and lots of stories in case all the other ones are rubbish. So but it was just, I, I think it was, um, yeah, just incredibly hands-on, and practical from the start. Like we were, you know, out there writing stories from that very first day, chasing news, learning about what, you know, what what it was required to be a journalist in between doing, you know, a whole lot of some theory subjects too. But I think the focus was so practical, which I think was different to other universities. I had like some friends who didn't even really start actually, you know, writing stories or learning how to write stories or do that kind of stuff until like second or third year, which I thought was baffling to me for a a media degree because what if you didn't like it? So did that reinforce the fact that you'd made the right choice in pursuing that particular career? Um, At first, I was like dead set terrified by it because I thought I'm actually really not that great at this. Like just, just, you know, I I think it was, I was just young and, and, you know, a bit completely naive and stupid, but like just thinking that, you know, that scoops or whatever land in your lap or anything like that. Like I was just terrible at actually finding a great scoop or a great story or just something really good. Whereas other people in a, in a class had a real knack of it. And I'd be always be so mad. They'd come in with these incredible Thor stories that they would find, which would seem like they just got from, you know, random conversations they had with people on the street. And he was me being like, I have talked to every single person I can possibly find. And I've asked, talked to all these strangers and all this stuff and I'm still getting nothing. So it was, um, but but I think the more I did it, the more I you know got to know it. I realised I actually just really like talking to people and talk, you know hearing people's stories and um, you know I guess that kind of telling a little bit like you know meeting people and finding out a bit more about them, which I really enjoyed. What would you say would have been your greatest strengths um, in that study part of it, and what areas do you think you took from there into your job when you finally did get a job in in the media? I was pretty relentless in terms of making connections with people and and networking and not networking, but just making friends with people. Like I was so interested in the people that were there and the teachers and finding out what they had done and their, 
you know, that kind of stories. And I, well, I guess that's what ended up getting me, um, uh, you know, a job working in radio was just through the connections that I'd made with one of the teachers who was there really. And then, um, it, that's how I got that. So I think I really enjoyed, and I probably would say I took the most out of just the practical stuff and just diving in there, just doing it and just throwing myself in the deep end again and again and again, even if I thought I was completely terrible, just still going out and having another go while always being, I guess, I don't know, relentlessly optimistic about, you know, the, the parts that would come from it. Let's talk about how you made your way into the radio industry. Was work experience a big component of the study that you were doing or was that pretty much the onus put on uh, the individual to go out there and source that kind of thing? The onus was entirely on the individual. So I know that a couple of different courses, you know, have, you know, week-long periods or they kind of help you find internships and things like that. But for us, it was like you can, you, you know, you could go through an entire degree without doing a single bit of work experience or internship or anything, but that was just going to be your loss. I think they just said, go and do as much work experience as you can. And they would absolutely help you in finding it or use, you know, their connections and contacts to put you forward because people were always asking for interns and work experience students and things like that in the media for extra help. But you be able, the onus would be on you to put your hand up for it and, you know, make the time to, to go and do it. So, um, for me, my, to, I guess to get my start in radio was, um, our good friend Erin was our, was my um, like kind of technical teacher and showed us at, at uni when I was in second year, at the start of second year. So she was showing us how to use Pro Tools and all the audio equipment and do the edits and, you know, really just use all of that gear as well as, you know, a bit of um, new stuff as well. And I just, yeah, just became to know her like I was always in. I guess I think it was just that my train ended up being at uni super early on those days. And so I'd always just come in and help, you know, help her out with the equipment or help set stuff up and all that kind of stuff. And then just talk with her. We just became friends and I was really good. Um, you know, always asking her about radio cause she was working at, um, Osterio at the time and just asking her what it was like and how she enjoyed it and everything. And then eventually like, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks later near the end of the course, I said, you know, if there's any chance of anyone from your, you know, from SCA or, or stereo as it was known at the time to, you know, um, send emails to her about doing some work experience or anything like that, I'd love you know, I'd love to have, you know, her boss's email or anything like that. And she said, she gave it to me. And she later on said to me, she gave, I would not have given it to anyone else in that class because they didn't make the effort. Like they didn't make an effort to, you know, get to know her or get to ask questions or always just wanting to know about how the media industry worked or just how radio works. So she said, you know, I would have, you know, would have given it to you anytime because of the, you know, the effort that you put in into, you know, really being interested in it. And so, yeah, so that's, that's how it started from there. I just, and then I got my foot in the door. How important was it for you to establish that contact within the industry, but also then make the most of it? I mean, you uh, being able to put yourself in that position where you're able to pretty much do anything just so that you could get in the door. It was so important to get in there. And once you get in there, you absolutely make the most of it. It's like you don't want to let the person down who's you know done you a favor in terms of you know, going out of their way to do something nice for you or to give you a, a contact or a bit of information or anything like that. But then it's just, you know, when you, when you get in there, it's just all about working hard and being able to deliver on that as well. But, all, you know, even though all those relationships with other people from other radio stations, especially when, you know, like radio, for example, when you're an on-the-road reporter for a radio station, you actually spend more time with, you know, all the journalists from the other radio stations and the TV networks that you see out and about, at press conferences, at, you know, court, media events, whatever, every day, you see more of them than you actually do of other people that work in your own office. So, 
you, you just making friends with them is uh, so important in case you ever get stuck for something or need help. And you all come a bit of a, you know, despite being rivals, you all band together a little bit for help because you know that if you ask, you know, if you need help from, if you give help to someone, the chances are you'll need help from them at some point as well. So people return the favor and everyone becomes very friendly. So I think that taught me very much straight away that everyone's, you know, kind of looking out for each other a little bit. That networking component, it can never be underrated. We've spoken about it many times on this podcast. The fact that what you said there is that uh, you spend a lot of time out talking to reporters from other mediums and other networks and you become friends with them and they become so helpful if, in fact, you do need um, a little bit of a kick along in your career. You can sort of, you know, drop the odd hint that you're available and the chances are, obviously, if they work in another environment, if somebody says, oh, we're actually looking for someone, they can put your name forward by virtue of the fact that you've just been hanging out you know, might be sitting in a gutter or waiting for a press conference, but it can yeah. lead to so many more opportunities. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, and I, I laugh now every time I, you know, have to for, for whatever reason or whatever purpose you realise you've got to call someone from I don't know either a minister's office, one of their press secretaries, or you see someone from a TV network or someone comes out and you go, oh, I know them. Like they're my friend. Like you see them on the press release and you go, oh great, it's you know this is a friend or you know it's and it's just so funny that people that you met as, as you know just radio reporters of varying kinds back in the day are now spread so far and wide, not only what I guess that would be, what, seven years ago now, eight years ago that from when I was doing that, like just the, the fact that people are doing so many different things, it's kind of like, oh, you've got all these people who are, you know, interested in what you're doing and, you know, know you and your friends with in all kinds of places. It's, it's actually quite crazy, isn't it, how everyone just spreads out to do a million different things just compared to when you know when you were just sitting in a gutter or waiting for ten hours outside court for someone back, <laughs> you know, not not too long ago. Let's talk about that first gig that you got while you're still at university. I was working at the radio station then, so it was Triple M and Today FM where you came in and you're pretty much just in charge of recording yep. the traffic. You know, as boring as that may sound, it's a place where a whole lot of people began their careers because, as you said before. It's the entry and you're pretty much willing to do anything. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. You know, the minute I walked in, I was like, this is so great. Like, I just was really, really, really here for it. You know, I so I was sure I'd be there recording the traffic in the afternoon. And then I think just, I think sometimes I ended up doing those awful split shifts in the, and then I'd have to go to uni in the middle of the day in between. So, but I just, I just loved it. I couldn't get enough of work. Like I know they'd always call me and ask, can you do this shift? I know it means you're going to have to, you know, back up to do it again the next morning or whatever. And I'd always say yes, every single time. Cause I just really enjoyed it. And so I think, um, what I think, I think I started doing some like breakfast traffic shifts so that meant I'd be in the office about five 30 in the morning, do work until like nine 30, go to uni from like 10 till one, and then come back and do the drive three till seven and then do it all again, like the next day. And I just remember it was just the place I wanted to be much more than going to uni or anything like that. But it made, and, and, you know, I just learned so much from doing that. And so like, I, you know, I guess what, what was I doing? I was recording the traffic and then I just offer whoever was, you know, reading the news or, or editing the news or whatever to write some stories, answer some calls, do some interviews, and then, you know, get some feedback on what I was writing. And then, you know, the more you offer to help and the more you can actually just do things and just, you know, the, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And then it just kind of goes from there. I think just, yeah, just being around, like you said, just being, you know, part of the furniture and just being there and being able to do things when you get asked to do them and then 
it all just kind of spirals from there. So were you the envy of your uni mates? Did many of them take that same initiative and were they doing copious amounts of work experience while they were still studying or were you one of the the lead ones that had pretty much, I guess when you look at it in many senses, that you'd hit the jackpot? I felt like I'd hit the jackpot. I totally had felt like it because what are the chances that you, you know, email someone asking for work experience and then they kind of come back to you, go in for one meeting and they come back to you and say, actually, we need someone to do a paid gig doing the, just recording the traffic. Like they, you know, they sell it to you as it's just recording the traffic. It's nothing very exciting. But I was like, this is a paid job working in a radio station that was at the time, I think that, you know, number one and number two or number three radio stations in, in Sydney. And I was like, this is incredible. Like sure. You're willing to pay me for something that I was willing to do for free. Like sure. So I felt like I hit the jackpot. I think a lot of my uni friends at the time were doing so much kind of internships and work experience and all that kind of stuff in many different places. And I know that a lot of people still weren't really sure exactly what they wanted to do in media. So they were just, you know, putting feelers out for anything and everything. I know a lot of people spent time at um, 2GB because they had a good work experience program, Channel 9, Channel 7, Channel 10. They all had just a whole lot of interns kind of roll through the door as well as Fairfax and um, News Limited as well. So people will just be off doing so many different things, but it made it difficult when, you know, either sometimes they like to do them in, um, you know, semester breaks so you could do a couple of weeks straight instead of just trying to do a day here and there or one day a week, which is not always easy. So yeah, it was, it was great. I, I don't know. Everyone was doing something like it felt like all the other people around me at uni were doing a whole lot of work, you know, just work, like work, work to have a job, but then also chase up internships and, and spend a lot of time. Like everyone was very tired in uni when you do a journalism degree because you've just got so much to do. What about the advent of social media? You being of the sort of younger generation (laughs) compared to a number of people that I've already spoken to in this podcast series that had to adapt on the run, myself included. Growing up in that environment where it was just starting to sort of take off, but then as you launched your career, it was becoming a much bigger thing. And I, I tend to remember that you had a much better grasp on it than what most of us did. How important was that for you in terms of, we're talking old school media when we talk about like radio and news presenting and stuff like that, but for you to be able to capitalize on what was growing at that time in terms of Twitter and Facebook and all of that, was that something that you looked at in terms of being able to sort of show us older people the way in many ways? I think so. I suppose you could put it like that. I I remember the way I actually look back at it now, I kind of feel like I started working in media as at the very start of the huge wave of the way social media changed news. So I got a little bit of a taste of how it was before, but then like I kind of came in at the exact time where it was all absolutely booming. I remember when I started, I was on Twitter because at uni they were encouraging us to be on Twitter because it's a, you know, a really great place to be. And I got on it and I loved it. Like I, I, you know, I'm I'm quite a big Twitter user. Um, And I remember all so many times when I was just first starting, I'd have it just uploading, looking at whatever. And I was following a lot of people in media because at the time I think particularly it was mostly kind of journalists and kind of people in media feeling their way in this great new social media platform. So I followed a whole lot of journos that I knew and a lot of news outlets and international news outlets, all that kind of stuff. And I remember whenever there'd be a big event, 
it would be like during that kind of time in what was it like 2008 like 2008 2009 I would say oh this thing has happened like this thing has happened and other people in the newsroom would go oh is that on why has that popped up on the AAP wire feed or somewhere else like that <laughs> or is it on you know one of the tv networks or sky news or something and I would say oh no I've just seen it on twitter and then it was it was was a minefield of gold stuff that I would find and I would see and I remember specifically like finding so many stories on there that had not yet been broken on you know any other radio station or any other tv news network just because of what people were tweeting about that had been going on in Sydney whether it was you know mostly like I'm not talking enormous things in that regard like but things like if there was you know a crime story or you know a fire or something like that like a lot of the time people were really on that in terms of, or a big traffic accident, we're really onto that in terms of Twitter because they'd be tweeting about it um, and you can then kind of then follow it up from your angle once you get it. So it created a, a massive kind of minefield in terms of um, verification of what you people are tweeting about and seeing if things are actually true. I remember so many times being like, I've seen this on Twitter, now we just have to verify it before we can actually put it to air because otherwise you never know what you're going to get. But it was just a matter of, you know, it just became a new source of a hotbed of information that you would then try and filter and then try and, you know, verify and confirm with other people before you then put it to air. It just, but it really changed the way that the entire newsroom operated. It surely did, and I think that that's a very important point that you raised there, just about double checking to make sure that it is correct. And I guess that's where most of the older journalists were a little bit sceptical about Twitter in the fact that is this right? Is this one hundred percent? Because if you go out there with a, a false truth, you just look like a complete idiot um, on air, and nobody wants to look like that. But I guess it got to the point where more and more people were trusting Twitter as a, a valuable news tool, and you were certainly one of the earlier embraces of that. Oh, it was definitely a great news tool. Like, and I saw it as you know what I liked the most about it was it was just another piece of people telling you information or just another another place to sift through to find things so instead of you having to you know scour the the news websites for stories especially when you're working in radio you scour the news sites for stories or look through AAP feeds or monitor the tvs to find bits of information or listen to callers or all that kind of stuff people calling through it was just another place where people were saying things from out in your community and you just would you know take some bits, things with a grain of salt, but then also be, you know, take some things and run with them. And then obviously you, you kind of go through the process. Like if there was a big crime thing or if something had happened, you'd always confirm. And I just, I remember there were a number of phone conversations I'd have when I would call up the police media department and say, you know, hello, I have heard that this has happened. What is going on or what can you tell me? And so many times back then, even they were kind of stumped that, and then eventually it would, they would find out and know and kind of ring back and go, how the hell did you know that? How, how did you manage to find that out first? Especially when they knew that I was, you know, just sitting in the newsroom, like I wasn't out on the road or anything. And I said, well, it's on Twitter. People are tweeting about it. And I just, yeah, it just became faster and faster and faster in terms of, you know, news becoming public. I also think that at that stage also was the fact that more and more celebrities slash sports people were getting on board. So if there was an article in the paper um, that was speculative, they could pretty much kill a story. So you could also source that in terms of saying such and such has denied the story in today's Telegraph because the celebrities and the, the sports stars were working out fairly quickly that they could control the message that was getting out there and or, like I said, kill stories dead that were proving to be incorrect. 
Oh, absolutely. And especially things like making, and, you know, making their own announcements. It really started people being able to broadcast their own thing. So whatever rumors were going on or just even announcement of nothing, a famous person or a person of note could be able to say, this has happened. And, you know, even now, I guess most politicians and, um, you know, or people of note or people in the community would tweet their media releases probably at the same time as they hit send to actually send it out to their media distribution list. So by the time you've seen it on your email, if you've seen it on Twitter, it's already, you know, it's already there. So people just use it as a place to, to break their own news, which is why I love it. I think it was just always a fun little place where there was always lots going on. And I've seen it change from when it was just not that many people on it and they were, but the people were, were really, it was really, it became really like, oh, I guess a community you'd find, you'd see, you know, back in the day when Twitter was around, you know, eight years ago, it was a very different place to you'd meet people that you didn't know and you'd see people, all these tweets from dead set strangers much more than it is now when you, you just, you know, you've got your network of people that you follow and you mostly see those kind of people. And it's just people use it very differently back then to they do now, but it was still such like the best the, the most crazy change I've seen sweep through a newsroom in my time working in media. Now, we said that you started off recording the traffic, which was your entry point, but you were able to fairly quickly pick up how we sort of did things in the in the newsroom. Who were the people that helped you the most when you wanted to branch out a little bit further and go out on the road to stories and also write up stories and make sure that you had the right context, that you were able to write properly, that you were able to put the correct grabs, you know, take the, the phone calls from the politicians when the more senior journalists were were not in the in the room and you were feeling confident that you could deliver the stories that were needed to go on air. So, so I started doing Drive, but I was only on Drive for a very little bit. So who was reading at the time? I think... Emma Duxbury was on Today FM at the time. And then uh, when I very first started, Chris Urquhart, who was there, who's now at nine, was on doing Triple M. And then um, Emma ended up reading both when Chris moved back to nine and there was a lot of things going on. So she was reading both stations. So I would be helping her because everything was crazy when you have to do both stations in the afternoon. And so she was a big help. And then when I, then I very quickly just started to fill in on breakfast. So Matt McDonald was a huge help for me in the mornings, like when he was there, on those breakfast shifts, he'd always, you know, take the time to read through my stories after, you know, when the breakfast shift was over, he'd have the time to read through what I'd written, give me really, really good feedback, help me, you know, write multiple versions of a story, cut up different grabs and find really good angles. He was really, really great. Um, and then going uh, to more on-air stuff, like practicing, listening to my air checks. Matt did a lot of that too. Jeff Field was really great. He, um, you know, really kind of took, you know, me under his wing a little bit and would always listen to my air checks and he would, you know, help me out and just say anytime you want help or advice or, you know, to have a kind of practice session in the booth going through some bulletins live so he could listen, you know, to me read in person and then critique me as I was doing it. So he was, um, he was really, really good for that. Um, so I think those were the, the real main ones, but everyone in the newsroom was so helpful and so great. I think like it was, a you know, you know what it was like in that environment at the time. We all got along really well and, um, you know, we were a really strong, solid, tight little crew there. So everyone was um, more than helpful in giving advice. When you were doing the traffic, you were working with Brian Sando Sanders in the morning when you were, were doing those ones if you filled in on a, on, a, on a morning shift and you also spent a lot of time recording Joe Abbey stuff. So you had people yes. there that were, had been in radio for quite some time that even though it was 
just a matter of just recording them and, and putting them to air. And even though people sort of think of that that's like a pretty easy job, it's actually not because you're doing it every 15 minutes and quite often, and in the case of Sando, you had to do it for both stations. So you would do it when Mike Morrow would be on holidays or if he was sick or whatever, because Mike had pretty much made that breakfast shift his own with Sando. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, yes. could, it could become quite stressful at times because you had to match up the the advertising credits to make sure that they were all uh, done at the appropriate time. And if Kyle and Jackie O were running 20 minutes or 30 minutes late, as they invariably were, it's pretty hard to sort of do all that stuff on the run. So how did you find working with people like Sando and, and Joe Abbey? It was really fun, but also like just a really crazy whirlwind into, you know, getting my head in around what the hell was going on to producing that radio show, like on both stations, like the delay, you know, getting everything lined up, getting everything correct, making sure they said the suburbs correctly and didn't stuff up in their recordings. If they had to do different takes, if they had to be timed out as the afternoon bulletins were, they all had to be exactly, you know, 37 seconds or whatever it was, which was different every day or every week based on the advertising credit. So that was pretty fun, but they were both so great to work with. Sando and Joe, like I became really, really good friends with both of them. And you do, you're kind of like just sharing your life because Joe did a lot of her work from home. And um, I remember, I think, I think I was probably, I think she said that I was the second person that she told when she uh, was pregnant with her third child, Katerina. I think she like called me on the phone and she's like, by the way, I'm pregnant. I haven't even told my mum yet. And I was like, what? Just because, <laughs> you know, we, we just became really good friends having spent all that time together on the phone every afternoon. Um, and then Sando, you know what Sando's like. He's, you know, lots of fun in the morning. He gives you hell, but he, you know, takes it right back and you always have a bit of banter and he was a lot of fun to work with. And then so you were on traffic for quite some time, but the opportunity presented itself when a couple of people left the newsroom and then you were pretty much, from what I remember, thrust into editing breakfast for Triple M. And it was a case when Rachel Corbett started reading the news and then Brian Carlton or Spoonman, as he was better known yeah. when he was reading the news there on, on breakfast for the grill team. Yeah. So it was, um, it was, I'd been there for a few years then. So I started like, I think when I finished uni, so I, I've been working there about 18 months when I finished uni and then I just quickly became in there five days a week as soon as I finished. Like they were pretty excited or pretty eager to have me in there. Um, and so then I just was writing more stories every day while doing traffic and then my shifts became longer so I'd do like a full morning shift of traffic and then go on the road and report and then come back and write bulletins and and do whatever all the meantime while me desperately practicing my news reading and my writing and putting together my own bulletins and all that kind of stuff and then um yeah so Matt had then left and then um Erin was doing breakfast on Triple M and then she left and then um yeah, so that was then my, I guess, my time to be thrust into the hot seat of, you know, enjoy editing breakfast. So I first started, I was editing the news for Sammy Lucas to read. And um, yeah, that was only for a little bit. And then I think Sammy moved on. And then, um, yeah, Rachel and then Spoonie, which was so crazy. I still remember my very first breakfast shift where I was editor. Like my shift, you know, like normally I would have been able to, you know, you'd start at about four in the morning and I got in there like quarter past three or something just freaking out because I hadn't slept the night before and I was just like you know what 
let's just do it. And I came in, I just churned out and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. But, and at the end of it, I remember finishing breathing out and going, huh, I just did that. And it worked fine. And you know, this guy didn't fall in. So I was, I remember being very, very pleased with myself the first day that, that happened. And I just, I just remember being so exhausted afterwards. I was like, Oh, I have to do it all again tomorrow. It was only Monday. Like <laughs> having to do that five days a week, it's such an intense, an intense shift to do. Yeah, it can be pretty full on, and you had to put up with a fairly cantankerous sports editor during that particular phase. A certain um, Ralph P. Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you managed it. I just remember always coming in to you, and you'd always beat me in. Long you'd be sitting at your desk, and at that stage, Sydney was going through a mad stage of overnight shooting. So my first question to you every morning was, any shootings? Yes, yes. <laughs> You'd always ask me, any shootings? What's been going on? And I'd be like, not yet, Ralph, but there's still time. And then almost every time we'd get an email from police media saying, there's been a shooting somewhere else. And we'd say, oh, well, there you go. That's going to be my morning lead. Easy done. <laughs> oh, dear. It was also when you were put in that, that role, it was pretty much a baptism by fire because it was – um, at the end of 2009, the start of 2010, and then there was a, a freak amount of natural disasters. So we're talking mm-hmm. Qu- Queensland floods into Christchurch earthquake into Cyclone Yahtzee. Yep. <laughs> How was that for you, like, being fairly fresh in, in that role, having, well, I wouldn't say limited training, but it's a whole different world from, you know, punching out a few stories in the afternoon when there's hourly bulletins to half-hourly news bulletins on breakfast when the bulletins are longer as well. So um, having to cope with all of these disasters along with pretty much learning on the job, how was that for you? It was crazy but I really remember and I think the the thing that I took with me from you know working in radio was that I really enjoyed and was quite good at actually when news was breaking like that was kind of my moment like I really loved being able to hear have all these different people talking you know like for example if it was a big you know natural disaster there'd be updates all the time different people saying stuff you know updates on injury tolls or circumstances or evacuations or all this kind of stuff and I just remember always being able to go okay this is what I'm going to use I'm going to use this I'm going to use this leading into this and then my next bulletin will be different like I really really enjoy kind of piecing that puzzle together of keeping it new and fresh and also as, you know, succinct and concise as possible because, you know, at the end of the day, it's FM news. It's not like you have an enormously long window to work with. And, um, yeah, I remember it being like absolutely crazy, but I remember it being a really good, like I I found it, you know, that thrill of being able to get that information out there to people as it was breaking and as it was changing and right on the hour and, you know, right in, in the middle of the news bulletin things, you know, you'd be writing stories madly for, for it to be able to get into that bulletin. I remember that. Yeah, that was, I guess a real highlight. And I, it was such a crazy time of all those natural disasters, but it was, yeah, probably some of the best times I've had in a newsroom in terms of being able to, you know, feel that I did a really good job at the end of the day or at the end of the week or however long it was when you have to work extra and longer and it's just, you know, 100% full on all the time. How important was it for you to remain calm in those situations? Like I'd work with a whole lot of breakfast editors or people that work in the newsroom and it's made up of a whole range of different personalities. But the one thing I will say about working with you and you having to deal with, I guess, personalities in the fact that they didn't write their news, you had to write it for them. 
Mm-hmm. How important was that having that ability to always remain calm yet focused on the job at hand? Oh, I don't know. I think it's probably like part of my personality. I think I'm a reasonably like cool head in a crisis or just in a, you know, in a work, you know, in a professional setting anyway, I, I think. Oh, you know what? You tell me. How did I go? How calm was I in, in all of this? Yeah, you were pretty calm. I mean, like I said, compared to many different other people that I've worked with, you always managed to keep a level head. You always managed to get the, the job done. And the, the thing that most impressed me about how you handled it was the fact that like not a lot of other people, you recognized that there always was time to get news in, to get breaking news in. So if Spoonie was halfway through a bulletin and something broke, you were very comfortable in just going straight directly into the bulletin and inserting whatever news you needed to, knowing full well him being the professional that he was, that he'd pick it up straight away. Oh, absolutely. Like he was, yeah, he was very good at all of that stuff. And I think I think in that regard, the, all the news readers that I was working with and I was editing for, you know, for them were, you know, experienced radio heads. Like, you know, Rachel had worked in, in radio for a long time. Sammy had worked in radio a long time. But Spoonie, yeah, Spoonie was something else. Like he was... um just so, you know, able to, you know, take in any new information and just run with it. And live radio is his, you know, his forte, I think, in anything. He's just so good at it. And it was he was really lots of fun, like lots of fun to work with. Like he was um, it was particular and like I really liked it. I appreciated that his, his eye for details and like that really taught me something else about what I you know, needed to be looking for and also to adapt to you know, someone else's style, you know, he had his own style of reading and his own style of writing and how he liked to have things written for him. So that was, I think, something I really, you know, responded to in terms of being able to write for someone else who was, you know, very experienced in, in the art of radio. And that was, yeah, something I I really enjoyed too. And you would have learned a whole lot off him as well. Like you said, he gave you the relevant feedback, but it's a really switched on and intelligent guy. And always up with the news. So if mm. you'd left if you'd left something out or if he had a, a particular story that he wanted to or wanted you to follow, he would certainly let you know. So having someone there that had that great news sense about them must have also helped you as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like he you know, in, in when everything was crazy in terms of a crazy news day or crazy news few months or whatever was going on, he was, you know, very – he was also a very calm operator, I think, in that sense that, you know, you could put in anything at the last minute and nothing would seem to phase him in that in that sense of knowing what he was, you know, going to be seeing about because we – you know, we ended up – that you build that trust with someone when you know that – you know, they're going to write in the way that you understand and you prefer to read and you're not going to, you know, you're going to write it clearly and, you know, you're not going to have typos, all that kind of stuff that you can then build that relationship with in terms of a professional reporter, you know, get the job done and, and be able to deliver that kind of news. Who was the best sports editor that you worked with and why was I? <laughs> well, you were the only one, Ralph. You were the only one. So I guess you make it in by default. But um, yeah, you were no, you were fun. You were you were your you know your style in the mornings is just get in, stick your headphones on, and go 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 because there was always so much to do in the mornings, especially for the sports stuff when you're writing for Sydney and Brisbane. But um, no, it was always fun. It was it was always good. We had a good time, and I think some of the best memories I have from my working life is in that newsroom at like shit o'clock in the morning. Like it'd be 
4.30 or something and we're all just having a laugh about something ridiculous that, you know, we were talking about or in our, in our you know, haze of tiredness and, and, and sleep deprivation, we still had a lot of fun in there. Fun Food Fridays was one of the other favourites as well. It's a Sydney breakfast institution for radio people. What was it like also working on those hours? Because some people it agrees with, others it doesn't. Everyone has their own techniques in terms of do you have an afternoon nap and you know should you maybe not have a nap? How did you manage the hours because they can be quite taxing at times. Actually, the hours worked really well for me for some reason. I don't know why because thinking about it now that I've been out from working breakfast for, you know, four years or so, it's like I don't know how I ever did it, but I just managed to be really disciplined with going to bed early. Like I'm not a napper. Like you would you would like to nap, everyone else would nap. I'd be like, no way. I would go home in the afternoon and just stay awake in the afternoon and then go to bed really early at night. Like I'd be in bed at like eight o'clock every night and it worked for me somehow. Like I'm still, you know, still pretty tired sometimes, especially in the afternoons when you have nothing, if you have nothing to do, you can kind of be like, you know, trying to keep my eyes open, but I could never nap. I was was never a napper, but yeah, you know, for the most part, it actually really agreed with me. Like it meant I had zero social life during the week, but it was, you know, it, it worked for me and I enjoyed then having my afternoons off to do other things. So yeah, no complaints, I guess, in that regard. Came to the point there where things sort of changed at the radio station. Mike left, I left, uh, and then not long after, you also took up an opportunity to work for the Parramatta Reels. How did that all come about, and why was it that you decided that you had your time was over in radio? Well, it it actually came up by chance, just through through friends and then friends of friends. Joe, who we were talked about before when I, we worked very closely doing the traffic, it just had come up in conversation that she asked me one time, what would I like to do, you know, after radio? What would I want to do next? What would I look for next? And I said, I'd really love to do um, social media and content producing for like a sports team because at the time I thought that most sports teams in Australia did a really terrible job of it and they just didn't, you know, they hadn't really invested that much time or that much effort or, you know, people into the resources of doing something like that. And I thought that'd be something I'd really like to do because, you know, I always really liked sport and I wanted to, you know, it'd be, it's, you know, a fun place to work. Plus I was really, you know, into that kind of social media space as well. Um, And so she said, oh, okay, yeah, cool. And then, you know, this was just months earlier. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, she calls me and says, a friend of mine who works at the Parramatta Eels is looking for someone to do their social media and content. And she thought of me straight away based on the conversation we'd had probably six months earlier. And she said, would I be keen? And I said, oh yeah, sure. You know, I'll have a meeting like, you know, whatever. I'm not, you know, not, you know, wasn't particularly that, you know, phased with it. Cause it was also at the time when I was just about to get married. Like I remember I had the, um, the interview, I just, you know, interview, I'm not really even interview. I just went in to kind of have a chat with him at the Eels and it was like three days before I was going to go and get married. So I was like, not really thinking about it that much. Like I was like, sure, whatever, this is just a conversation. Like it's not even a real job interview or anything, just an initial chat. And if anything comes of it, then I'll deal with it later. And then come back from, you know, wedding, honeymoon. And it's, then it's like kind of Christmas time. And then I get a call right after Christmas being like, Hey, so we really want you to do this job. We, and we want, we, you know, want to make an offer to you for this job and kind of start as soon as you possibly can. And I was like, Oh wow. Like it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I thought, uh, yeah, the re- the reason for me to leave, you know, radio was not like, I was not, it's not like I wasn't enjoying the work and wasn't enjoying the place. I, I think I'd just been there for, you know, four and a half years, almost five years at the time. And I thought I might just 
you know, wanted to kind of give something new a bit of a go and it had, especially considering the way that it came about, how I'd said that that's something I really would like to do and then an opportunity came up that was, you know, close to home and so, yeah, so that's kind of how it fell from one to the other. So it was very, very weird and, and quite hard for me to actually leave radio. I did really, really miss it, especially at first. Um, but, yes, yeah, so a new opportunity, the Eels, and it was, um, yeah, really, really fun. I really enjoyed that too. Talk to me about that. What was the main differences between working in media and then working for a football club? When you work, especially for the stations like, you know, we both did at Triple M, you know, it was a very sports-focused station, so I would find myself – going to many, many sports press conferences, you know, almost daily, there'd be something or more than one thing that I'd be going to all the rugby league teams, you know, the Swans at the time, kind of right when the Giants were about to start as well. And, um, you know, or soccer or whatever it was, it'd be always some kind of sports thing on. So I'd go to that and you'd kind of meet their teams that were at the time were working and their media managers, you'd, you know, form good relationships with them and see what their, you know, team environment was like in terms of what they did. And I thought there is such a big opportunity here to do so much more, like create more content. Like these, you know, these are players who are interested in doing things. They're all, you know, young and reasonably social media savvy as well. And they're, you know, got good personalities. It's such a fun opportunity to do, you know, really cool stuff and and tell their stories a bit differently and, you know, have some fun with it. So that's what I think then going from radio where it's just like on the go, news, 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 especially in the morning to going to, a football club where it's kind of like, you know, when you're that social media content producer person in that digital role, you're the one funneling all the information from every kind of department to then post online, to get the boys to do things about it, to make the players, you know, engaged, all that kind of stuff. And you're creating constantly all these different kinds of content. So that was, I think, what I found the most different at first. Because, you know, when you work in, in news, you're mostly just in the newsroom, in radio, you just you don't actually deal too much with the other departments other than your, you know, direct on-air program. You're not actually spending that much time with, you know, sales or, um, you know, their digital teams. You don't really have that much to do with them in that regard. So that's what I found interesting, dealing with, you know, community, corporate, membership, merchandise, football, obviously, and then just kind of funneling it all together to work out your entire content strategy and, and how you can do that. So you first of all started there working as part of the social media and, and digital team, but the opportunity came up then after a couple of years or 18 months or so to take over as media manager. Now, having worked yep. on the other side, it obviously gave you a great insight in terms of the demands of the media. And then having been on the inside of the, the club, you kind of figured out how that sort of functioned from that particular viewpoint. How did you find the adjustment from working in the digital department to actually then taking the step up and uh, working as the media manager? Well, my phone rang a hell of a lot more. That's the big one, I think. <laughs> when you work in, you know, when you are when you work in internet, you get a lot of emails and you deal with a lot of texts, but you don't have to actually talk all that much on the phone. And then when you're the media manager, your phone doesn't ring, uh, your phone rings nonstop. So that was, I think, the biggest <laughs> initial notice. But when you work at a club like Parramatta, it's always very, you know, popular with the media. It's, you know, one of the bigger clubs in Sydney and um, it's, you know, the media really like it because it's in that Western Sydney corridor, you know, that people that the media love to target, you know, they want to all kind of target someone ideally in their demographic, who's, I guess, a Parramatta Eels supporter, because that's kind of their ideal geographic location in Sydney that, you know, all the news networks want to hit as their, you know, Western Sydney person. And, um, 
so that yeah so it, you know it's got a lot of coverage plus being one of the bigger clubs so it was um yeah never never short of my phone ringing and yeah so that was the the biggest initial notice and just being so much busier but also the the nature and the way in which I became the media manager as well was the other staff had moved on and so we were all very very busy um yeah so I think that's probably how I think the, the, the biggest change initially, because I was also having to do a lot of that digital stuff too, just based on the fact that, you know, staffing had changed. So I was doing, you know, two people's jobs for a while. So that was, I think, the initial craziness. You came in at a time and oh, I don't know how to put this, but Parramatta seemed to lurch from one disaster to another. So whether it was finishing with wooden spoons, whether it was Ricky Stewart leaving mid-contract and now obviously the well-documented events of of this season where you were dealing with salary cap dramas, you were dealing with players misbehaving, consorting with known criminals, Kieran Foran with the whole uh, alleged gambling issue, uh, also his mental health issues. So I don't think anyone in the game would have seen what you've seen in the last uh, 12 to, to 18 months. I mean, a dysfunctional board. How do you deal with that on a daily basis? You get a real thick skin, I think. You get really used to just um, dealing in, oh, what's the right word for it, I guess? Feeling, just be, dealing in high-pressure situations or when things change very quickly or, you know, when you've got to, you know, write up statements or you've got to respond to things very, very quickly. You just kind of get used to being in full alert crisis mode that anything could happen at any time. And I kind of feel like that's been, that was default mode for, you know, at least this season, there would always seem to be something new almost daily for, you know, a really couple of good couple of months there. And then, yeah, just in general, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. I think every club, every football club, at least if you're a media manager has encountered something like that over, you know, the last few years, I think, so. you know, when it rains, it pours. And then other times you have a bit of a quieter spell when other people are, you know, other clubs, other people, other, you know, those kind of things are the focus as well. So, um, but it's not easy. It's not easy when you're, you're constantly, you know, in the media for whatever reason, and you kind of have to then pull it all together and deal with it while dealing with all the media who also want things. And, and then, you know, trying to protect the people that you want to protect as well as a media manager, which is your job to do. So it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do, but, um, you know, I like to think I did a pretty good job of it. I gave, I gave it a good crack. <laughs> How much of your grounding in radio helped you in that regards? Not only with the point of view in terms of what the media were expecting you to deliver, I'm talking about what you just mentioned there in terms of the urgency to get statements out. So there's urgency involved in putting together half-hourly news bulletins. Did you sort of look at that correlation and, and, and draw on that uh, when you were going through those difficult stages? Yeah, you can see it. I could definitely see that that's a correlation. Like when you have to smash out a media release really, really quickly, even when it's about something good, you know, for a player re-signing or a new player signing, you know, obviously that news doesn't stay quite very long in, in football circles when, especially when other clubs might be involved or player managers or the players themselves and their friends who are other players, you know, the the circle kind of spreads pretty quickly, even when there's really good news. So I'd find myself often just being like, all right, just got to smash out a media release as fast as I could. And it often felt like writing a, you know, a news bulletin when there's breaking news at the last minute, right before a deadline right before a bulletin goes to air so that was they're very very similar in that regard that you just got to write things quickly you've got to write them accurately you've got to then you know 
make sure your information is all correct and and then send it out so there are yeah there are quite similarities actually you would find between the urgency of it being you know manic right before and you know half hourly bulletin and also when you've got to get news out and then get people to check it people to approve quotes in it people to you know then distribute it and you know if you're dealing with other stakeholders for external things get them to approve it as well and pull it all together in in, at the end as well so yeah i would say definitely there are similarities talk to me about brad arthur he seems to be a guy that is just so mentally together in the terms of okay what we've seen this year with what i said earlier dysfunctional board so he was sort of like, you know, spokesman for the club against the board or spokesperson for the club for the board. There's been periods there where you haven't necessarily had a CEO, so he'd sort of step into to that sort of breach to answer the questions. From the outside looking in, it seemed to be one hell of a, a guy that's been able to do so much and and really care for the welfare of his of his players at the, at the club and I mean even at one point he it sort of stepped in to become like coach of Wentworthville at, at some point so what can you tell me about Brad Arthur the guy that you've sort of seen um, from close quarters Yeah, well you hit the nail on the head with the way that he cares. I think like he's you know, fiercely protective of his players, but also his coaching staff and also, you know, those close to him. I think he just, you know, is very protective of them. And he see, you know, I think he sees his role as head coaches, you know, really important in terms of not just about making them good players and just, you know, making them good people. And, you know, I think he wants, you know, them to be like that. And he genuinely does want that from them. He was, um, he was great to work for. I really, really enjoyed working for him. He was, um, He'd be the first to say he's can be very tough to work for. What he likes, you know, he would say, you know, I can be a really hard taskmaster. But I think he's, I really, really loved working for him. He was, he made it very easy to, you know, when there were things going on, crises or whatever, he was, um, you know, just, you know, always looking out for you, you know, even someone like me and our media team and the, the rest of our guys in our media team, he looked after very closely. And, you know, we really kind of felt included and part of that football department, really. So, yeah, he was, he's, you know, I, I think he was yeah, really phenomenal the way he kind of, led you know both the players and then both the club you know throughout all of the things that have happened and I think he yeah I can't credit him more highly I think he did a really outstanding job of it. Media is kind of like football clubs in a way there's politics involved and things happen where you know budget cuts are are inevitable Um, I guess that's not just limited to media and 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 football clubs but there is a definite sort of um, correlation that you can sort of draw between that kind of thing. It must have been after everything that you went through earlier this year, um, having to front up every day and um, answer the media inquiries when you probably didn't know what was going on yourself, to get the, the, the call a few weeks ago when the, the club's in financial strife and you and a, a few others were, were let go by the club, what was that feeling like, knowing that you'd given so much of your your heart and soul and and tried to uh, protect the club as best you could? It's a weird, yeah, it's a weird feeling. I think um, mostly, I guess, mostly initially just shock that it happened the way that it happened, and but then you just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I find myself, my, I found myself really just moving on from it in that sense, and kind of, I guess, a little bit feeling relieved that I didn't have to, you know, answer any more phone calls about anything like that for a while, and then. Um, yeah, just kind of move on from it. I think what actually has surprised me is the way 
that I, you know, I really just miss the people that I worked with the most and those friendships, you, you know, you build and those relationships you build, especially when you go through tough times together, when you're spending so much time with someone, you know, when you work in rugby league, you're working six days a week, sometimes seven and, you know, having to deal with things that are, you know, crisis or, or things that are not, or just when you're traveling for away games, you spend a lot of time with your direct team, like my direct, you know, the media team that I worked with. And I think that's what I've noticed the most is how much I, um, you know, miss that, just miss it. They're seeing the people that I really enjoyed working with every single day. That's something I often, you know, even a few weeks on, I just sometimes just think and go, oh man, I really miss that person or Matt, I really miss that environment or, or that's what it was. I think, you know, the rest of it is just, you know, par for the course. It's just a job, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, financially things happen like that and changes have to be made. And I'm not, you know, not bitter about that or anything because I understand that that's, you know, the nature of most businesses, especially if you've worked in media as well, you know, a number of people who've been made redundant at some point just based on, financial circumstances so yeah like I think from that regard that's not you know I'm I'm totally okay with it like that I just really um you know I'm just sad about you know leaving behind a lot of really good people that I worked with and I really enjoyed as well as the players and the coaching staff I really I really do miss them because they're you know as nuts as they can be sometimes they're a lot of fun we spoke about it earlier when I guess it's again it's an it's an old cliche when one door closes another open it's given you this great opportunity now to go out on your own in the the freelance sense set up your own company hustle media and as you said before the the college ball thing falling in your lap i guess from your point of view it has opened the door for you and 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 shown you that there is a um somebody with your skill set there is a whole big wide world out there Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's how I have viewed the whole thing, I think, right from the start, that it's, uh, you know, a rare opportunity for you to actually, you know, have, I guess, a financial buffer from, you know, just a couple of months, just like what a redundancy is, but to actually then, you know, pursue new opportunities, do things that you wouldn't have been able to do before. You know, I've had a couple of people just over the years just say, oh, you know, would you be able to help me out or interested in helping out with a, you know, this project or something that's a week long? And I'd say, oh, you know, I can't just because it's in the football season, which means I'm, you know, I, I can't take time off during the footy season um, for opportunities that would have just been really fun, even if it was only for a couple of days or just something different. So now I kind of, you know, I've already had that opportunity to, you know, do this like college football work and a couple of other things that I'm doing or kind of just working on between now and the next little while that, you know, I would definitely not have been able to do if I was working full time. And I think just, yeah, from the, the support that we've had from, you know, since Sarah Neil, my, you know, my colleague who have also done set up being hustle, setting up Hustle Media together, she's, um, yeah, we just have actually had the time to go, all right, let's let's finish the website that we've had and wanted to make for months and, you know, let's actually get it out there and actually do some freelance work and talk to all the other contacts that we've got and, and you know, see what we can, you know, drum up. And it's, yeah, the, the response has actually been quite overwhelming considering it's only been, what, all of a week and a half, I think, since, since we were able to actually launch our website and launch it all properly. So, yeah, it's, it's been quite incredible. You're also stepping back into radio. We can reveal this pretty much as an exclusive that uh, from this Sunday, you'll be back in media on the radio working for WSFM, which is a, a great opportunity just to sort of step back into that that field. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. I'm doing your job for a few weeks. <laughs> so I um, yeah, went and shadowed you on the weekend and it was it was good fun, actually. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I, as soon as you called me and, and the opportunity came up to do it, I was like, sure, because I think out of anything, what I think, you know, this opportunity means for me is just to say yes to things. So I was like, all right, yes, I will do that. I will get back into radio and do it. And it's it felt like just riding a bike, you know, you, you <laughs> when I was in there the other day. So um, that'll be really good fun. And what- 
what are you also hoping to achieve with Hustle Media? You've mentioned there that you picked up a, a couple of things on the run, but what if people are listening to this and they wanted to uh, use your services, what kind of things will you be providing uh, in that? Yeah, we um, will be basically just making uh, like a content you know what, we're a full service digital agency, which sounds really wanky, but really it just means that we are available to create social media content for anyone who's interested. So we'd cover events. Um, if anyone has a live event, we can, you know, take photos, videos, turn it all around the next day, also run people's social media channels, all that kind of stuff for any, you know, if people want marketing campaigns, all that kind of stuff, video, photo, anything to do with social media and digital strategy, all that kind of stuff. So basically anything that involves either a camera or the internet or a computer, (laughs) that's kind of the stuff that we do. You've been super generous with your time. We'll wrap it up in just a sec. But before I go, I just want to get some advice from you, someone who has worked in media, worked in Clubland for for NRL and is now branching out and, and doing their own uh, thing. What would you say to somebody that's looking to, uh, I guess, first of all, break into the media? How would you approach it? I would just say the opportunity exists now for people to create some of their own stuff so easily. Like people can, you know, make their own podcasts or write their own articles or have their own blogs or websites or just, you know, have an opportunity to do things themselves. And, you know, young, like without meaning to sound disparaging, but young people are quite up to, you know, are, are quite good with using technology and things like that and are very natural at editing video and all that kind of thing. They feel, you know, I feel that a lot of, you know, young people nowadays know what, how to do that very naturally because they've just been exposed to it their entire life. So it just makes stuff. If you want to do it, if you want to be a writer, write, if you want to be on television, film yourself, if you know, all those kind of things, and then just put it out there as much as you can. The chances are, if you, if you're good, someone will see it and it, you know, and also just go and study, go and study somewhere good, learn from people who are really good and just, you know, take everyone's advice as you possibly can. And then I guess also just, you know, though I know you said it, it's been said a number of times, but relationships are the most important thing in media. Like I've got both of my, you know, major professional media jobs working in for the Eels and then working for Triple M and Today FM. I've both got them entirely by fluke from knowing someone who has known someone or kind of helped me get my foot in the door or recommended me to someone. So it's, I can't reinforce enough just all those relationships that you make with people. Be nice to everyone because it's not that hard to be nice and you never know you know, what kind of thing a friendship is going to lead to down the track, I reckon. Hugh Humphreys, thanks very much for your time. It's been a pleasure, Alfie. Good to be on. There he is, Hugh Humphreys from Hustle Media. And if you need something done in the social media space, he's your guy. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Hugh, please let him know by sending him a tweet. He's at Hugh underscore H. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or review. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast. Podcast.